instead of thinking restriction, 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 try what can I actually add into my day that is going to make me feel better, make me feel full and satisfied and add those beneficial nutrients into my day. Hello, it's Andrew May and welcome to another episode of the Strive Stronger podcast. Today we are talking about performance nutrition and I've got a person who knows all about performance nutrition. It's Kelsey Hutton. Kelsey is the current dietitian for the Parramatta Eels NRL team. She's previously worked with the New South Wales Waratahs men's and women's super rugby teams, the GWS Giants in the AFL and the NEAFL teams. But even if you don't identify as an athlete, sports nutrition can still apply to you. Utilizing sports nutrition principles can help to enhance energy levels, optimize performance at work and in everyday life. It also helps with supporting positive body image and more. Kelsey is passionate about helping people from all walks of life, whether that's a weekend warrior, a stay-at-home mum, tradies or the busy office worker to enhance well-being and uncomplicate nutrition. We're going to talk about that a lot today, Kelsey, uncomplicating and to see how healthy eating really can be. Some fun facts. Kelsey plays AFL. She's an avid crossfitter. She loves running and getting outside to go for a hike. She grew up sailing, so in summer, you'll find her on the water with her dad. I didn't realize this. It's one of the benefits of a podcast, Kelsey. You're half Maori. We're going to pull on that as well from your mum's side in New Zealand. And you spent all day preparing hangies together, which is some of your most memorable times, talking at night, singing, enjoying the feast you've made. That actually does explain a little bit when I see you in the kitchen with a lot of our Pacifica players and just the connection you have with them. They listen to you so much. You change what they eat, you change what they play. Kelsey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. There's so much I want to discuss today, and we'll go through a frame on five key areas I want to unpin. But first of all, your heritage. Talk to me about that. I I, I literally did not realise this until (laughs) I read the bio notes today. But I'm not surprised just seeing the connection you have with a lot of our players. Yeah, I think based off appearance, most people don't normally pick it until I actually say it. Then people say, oh, yeah, I can see a couple of the features there. You could tell maybe that you are. My mum is from New Zealand. She was born and raised there. She moved over to Australia when she was 20. She's one of seven siblings. So all of them still live over in New Zealand. We're the only ones over here. But we did go back and visit every year when I was growing up. So I grew up speaking English. So did my mum. They actually weren't allowed to speak um, Māori when she was growing up. So her parents didn't teach her, even though they were fluent, because they weren't allowed to speak it in schools. So my pronunciation is not great of certain words. So mum and I went and did some classes over the last couple of years. So I'm getting a little bit better in that area. Oh, well, I'm a Pakeya, is that right? As I said, my pronunciation's not great. <laughs> I, would, I would pronounce it Pakeya. Pakeya, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the, the beautiful Maori words that I love is Papa, and I learned that from Owen Eastwood. Have you read Owen's book on belonging? No, I actually haven't. Yeah, we've got him on the podcast coming up down the track, which I can't wait for. So he really explored his Maori heritage when he was 18. His dad was Maori, his mum was European uh, descendancy, and he wanted to know more about his cultural background. And so he went exploring and it felt like there was something missing. And when he went back and traced his roots, his heritage, and he talks about the beautiful word whaka, papa, which you know about, you know, and the All Blacks use this. When you are an All Black, it's your time to shine. But you've had ancestors before you and then you pass the light on to ancestors after you. So I've learned a lot about belonging. I think we can learn a lot about belonging from the Maori culture as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I often say because you do get 
those questions sometimes when you maybe don't fit what our image of someone who is Maori should look like or even Pacific Islander. But I am half Australian as well. But it doesn't change that connection that I have to that culture and the things that we learn from that as well. Did you talk to some of the boys in Maori? Or do, do you speak more of the native <laughs> tongue than they do? Here we go. We're going to um, find out some really interesting info on their cultural background and language. <laughs> Most of them are still in disbelief that I even am half Maori when I tell them. So they don't believe it. I'll sometimes say words. You've met... Um, Christy, she's the wellbeing manager of all the junior pathways. She chats to the boys. Yeah, so I do talk to her in Māori because I know her son from the classes that I was doing. So we had that connection there. So now they do believe me a little bit more now that she's backed me up. Doing some work with the Pathways program this year, Kels, with Harold Matthews and SG Ball, and I had no idea we were going to get onto this, but, but I see... Chrissy come in, she gives the boys a hug. It's beautiful, actually. They, they give her a warm embrace. She's just such a wonderful figure uh, before training and before sessions. It's interesting because even when I see her when I'm at work, it kind of feels like I'm chatting to someone that is my family. We just have that like comfort level, I guess. She is great at that, obviously, as you've seen. Well, you're great at nutrition and we've seen that because what I didn't mention is you're also the Strive Stronger Nutritionist. So you're working with us globally now, doing lots of different programs. And in the kitchen with Kelsey, we have constant feedback. Is her kitchen really like that, Wizard? Yes, it is. It's not just an image that we've done on Teams or on Zoom. So you do have an impeccable kitchen. The frame I'd love to go through today, Kelsey, and we can sort of dance around like we already have. But to cover some key areas, number one is what not to do. I really like how you start with that. Two, we've got to look at what to do. Three, I want to really pull the thread on nutrition and cognition. This is a huge one that we're getting asked a lot now. How does nutrition underpin the way I think? Four, we've got to go there, vitamins and supplements. And five, let's add some more performance accelerators. So let's go to number one. Kels, what should we not do when it comes to nutrition? Because I'll be honest, I studied nutritionist many years ago. You were probably just starting school, Kels. But it's changed so much and there's so much myth information, isn't there? So help us out. What not to do to start? All right. So we have three things. Number one, avoid all or nothing thinking. Number two, don't go solo. And number three, don't overdo it on the liquid calories. Ooh, okay. We'll go with number one first. I'll keep it in order. All or nothing thinking. I doubt you'd have people who would go on the roller coaster diet. I'd go from drinking all weekend, eating rubbish, yellow processed foods to macro vegan and bouncing back again. Who does that this day and age? <laughs> so Look, there are so yeah, there's so many diets out there. There's so many supplements out there, and especially with social media now, there is so much information that people can easily access about nutrition. But what that means is that there's a lot of bad information out there too, and also a lot of really personal information when it comes to diets and nutrition. So I see this a lot on social media. People post their transformation pictures and say, you know, this is what worked for me. So if you want to look like me, this is what you should be doing. But we know that we're all different. We're all unique. So that doesn't always work. And what I find is that a lot of the clients that come to me wanting to eat healthier have actually, I always ask the question, what have you tried in the past? And most people have gone on that roller coaster, as you said, that they've tried so many different diets and they're at a point of frustration where they feel like none of that has actually worked for them in the long term and now they need that support. So the reason why these diets don't work is that they often have that 
all or nothing approach. Jump in 110% into this diet, cut out this, 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 and this food. Don't go out and socialize because you won't be able to stick to your diet. And it makes it really hard for people to stick to. It's like a needle swinging from one extreme to the other, isn't it? So getting that mid-range where you come up with a food plan and, and, and it's getting out of the mindset of a diet, isn't it? Like you don't go on a diet. It should be a healthy eating plan. And I know what you do and I know what we try and do as well is to give people support. So that's a nice link to number two. Don't go solo. Because so many people do this, right? They think, oh, I've read something. I listened to a podcast. I know now how to manage the change for my diet, even though I've been eating a different way for the past 30 plus years. Exactly. You know, so person that they listened to on the podcast that said that they did this, this and this with their diet, it doesn't factor in all the other things to do with their lifestyle and why that actually worked for them. And so just trying to go and implement that yourself doesn't mean that it's going to work for you. You've got your own other things going on in your life, which all ties in and it all relates with our nutrition. We need to look at it from that very holistic approach. So when you do go out and you get support from somebody like a nutritionist or a dietitian, they can actually help take all those principles of healthy eating and then apply that into your lifestyle and how it's actually going to fit in with what you do. I say to a lot of our executive clients, Kels, and our senior leaders, if you want to manage your money, you'll get a financial planner. If you are going to do a legal contract, you get a lawyer. So why would you not in your personal board or your team of advisors have a nutritionist, have an exercise physiologist? And I find a, a number of CEOs that Dr. Tom Buckley and I work with behind the scenes, we're seeing a lot more information that a lot of execs have now, and they are putting people like you on their personal board. So I totally agree with that. If you want to get the best out of the billions, with a B, of cells in your body, don't go solo. Get expert advice. Get someone who's going to help you to put the right information in. And get someone like Kels who's going to help you with an expert to maybe dial back the alcohol. Is that what you mean with liquid calories? Yes, definitely. Number one is the alcohol intake. When we talk liquid calories, people often forget that when it's a liquid, it does contain calories. So that's energy that can lead to, you know, gaining weight if we're overdoing it on those liquid calories because they don't fill us up as much as food does. So it is really easy to overdo it. And especially with those uh, busy people that we work with, alcohol is something that does come into their diets quite regularly. Yeah, but Kelsey, I'm busy and I've, I've got to go out and sell. You don't understand. If I don't have alcohol at lunch or go out to dinners, I'm not going to grow my sales pipeline. We had someone say this to us regularly and I said, look, if your sales technique is that bad that you need to get people drunk, you need to look at a different way of selling. But how, how do you get that across when you're having a conversation with someone who is really pushing back on cutting back the alcohol? Because we, we could wax lyrical for hours on the benefits of introducing four or five alcohol-free days. How do you go about trying to convince someone to dial back a little bit on the booze? Look, it all depends on the individual person. But I think we have to really get realistic about what is your goal. This is what are the things that are preventing you from being able to achieve that goal. And nine times out of 10, alcohol is not something that's actually helping us to achieve those goals. It is something that is a hindrance or it's a negative. And even just having, as you said, a couple of those alcohol free days in the week can be a good place to start. We all need to start somewhere. It's not about saying, okay, cut the alcohol completely, go cold turkey from tomorrow. 
But let's just start to dial it back and see how you feel. You don't know how good you can feel until you give it a go. And liquid calories, do you put fruit juice in there? Other soft drinks, obviously, is not a part of any performance nutrition plan. But where does fruit juice sit in this? Fruit juice absolutely sits in the liquid calories category. I think the um, perception is that fruit juice is healthy. It's from fruit. But if we think about how much fruit actually goes into making one cup of juice, that is a lot of sugar. You know, if you've ever made orange juice at home yourself, you know that to make one cup of orange juice, it takes about 10 oranges. So we get all the water and the sugar from 10 oranges, but we don't get the fiber, the beneficial stuff for our gut health. So would we sit down and eat 10 oranges in one sitting? Probably not. That's why fruit juice sits in our liquid calorie category. And the other one is coffee. That's a massive one for busy people that are working. Coffee itself doesn't contain energy or a lot of energy in it, whereas once we start to add in the syrups, the sugars, the milks, that's where it starts to add up. So if you're listening to this and you still want to have coffee, and I enjoy having a few a day, Kels, I've gone to the Piccolo. Some of my friends laugh at me and go, it's such a little baby coffee. Like you're paying the same amount for that. But it's a, you still get the caffeine shot, but you get a lot less calories from the milk. So that's a good option, right? Or just maybe go with black coffee. Yeah, I find the piccolo is a great halfway option for people that maybe aren't into the black coffee. It is a good option there. All right, so what not to do, summarising, get rid of this dichotomous or all or nothing thinking. Number two is don't go solo. No man, no woman is an island. Have a team around you. And three, we've covered liquid calories. So Kels, when you've got that cleaned up, what not to do, what do you do? What's next? Okay, these are the three key things to do. Number one, focus on addition, not subtraction. Two, planning is key. And number three, use your performance plate. I get two and three, but I didn't realise we were going to have a maths lesson today as well. (laughs) Addition, not subtraction. Explain. We often approach healthy eating with a negative mindset. So it's all about what do I have to cut out? I'm going on this diet. It feels very restrictive. That is not a great mindset to be in for a long period of time it makes sense that we're going to fall off the wagon eventually if that's how we're approaching our diet. But instead of thinking restriction, 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 instead try what can I actually add into my day that is going to make me feel better, make me feel full and satisfied and add those beneficial nutrients into my day. You have less room to think about what you have to cut out. Naturally, you just have less space to consume those other foods when our focus is on what can I add in. Awesome. So what would you add in to start with? The number one is plant-based foods, particularly vegetables. So plant-based foods is anything that's a plant. So it's your legumes, chickpeas, beans, lentils, nuts, seeds, fruit, vegetables, and also your whole grains. But the number one of that category of plant-based foods is vegetables. That's what I see most people are not consuming nearly enough of. We often uh, talk about the two and five Most people will be familiar with that. So you two fruit, five vegetables each day. But 95% of Australian adults are not eating five serves of vegetables a day. So it is a little bit harder to get to five servings than people actually think. And and a serving of vegetables, let's just explain that because I have some mainly male clients who go, yeah, yeah, I had most servings of vegetables. I had a beautiful uh, medium rare eye fillet and I had a little piece of cauliflower and I had two snow peas and I think I had two slices of carrot. There's three servings of veggies, right? (laughs) Yep. Three different veggies on your plate doesn't actually mean that's three servings. So what is a serving size of vegetables? If we're talking salad, it is like a full 
cup, a measuring cup of salad. If it's cooked vegetables, half a cup. The difference there is just that when it's cooked, the volume becomes a little bit smaller. So half a cup cooked, one full cup of salad. Or if we want to think about it in different terms, even, you know, one medium carrot or a couple of florets of broccoli. So what would kind of fit into a handful? That would be one serving of vegetables. I think florets is a word we have never had on this podcast. There's a first. I think we should try and get florets in more, Kels. Love it. (laughs) And what we need people to do more is planning. And I found this recently. Now we're back to some live events. And I've been up in the Hunter Valley every week for four or five weeks. And the first week was so exciting because I had a live audience again. I was so excited. But then I'd had no snacks, protein snacks that I normally take with me. And it really got me to think again, oh, now we are back to traveling again, even if you're just at home planning is key, right? So week two, I made sure I had some protein snacks because when you get hungry and tired, that's when you often eat the high sugar, high processed, high carb foods. So what do you tell people to do in relation to planning? I always tell people that meal planning at the beginning of the week is a really easy and underrated strategy when it comes to healthy eating. So as you said, we're all busy people now that everything's opened back up after all our COVID lockdowns out and about, we're not next to our kitchen working all day. We don't have that easy access into our fridge or our cupboard just to grab food whenever we feel like it. So what usually happens if you go for long periods of time without food because maybe, you know, you're busy working, you didn't have access to it, we get to that next meal, we feel absolutely starving. We're less likely to choose the healthy option. When we're hungry, what our body wants is that quick, easy, accessible energy. And that's where we get those cravings for the takeaway foods or the higher sugar foods. And if we want to eat healthy, those aren't the ideal options to be choosing from. So when we talk planning, I even suggest planning your breakfast, your snacks, lunches, and also dinners. And what that means is that you will go out grocery shopping, you'll buy everything that you need. It's in the house. You know that you need to pack that into your bag for your day of work. And then you'll head out and you have everything there that you need. And you're not going to be going those long periods of time without food and then end up eating potentially the less healthy options. Yeah, I like it. I like it. And performance plate, if you're eating your bulk as vegetables, lean protein, some good fats and performance carbs, you don't really need to have the sugary snacks and you're not going on a roller coaster either. I've jumped right into it. So talk to us. What's the performance plate? It's actually just a really easy place to start when we think about healthy eating. So it's a framework for each of your main meals. Imagine a dinner plate. You're going to divide that into half and then on one half, divide that again into quarters. So what we're going to fill in each of those sections of your plate, one quarter filled with protein, one quarter filled with what we call the performance carbs and half the plate filled up with veggies or salad. And it is, we get people all the time, don't we, saying, gosh, when I do that, I realise when I go out to dinner, I fill up my plate with meat. I've got a couple of tiny little bits of veggies, like the example I used before. Uh, and good fats, we want to make sure people get some good fats. So what's an example of good fats you would put with, with meals? Yeah, so the good fats, I forgot to mention that, that's just that little portion in the middle of the performance plate. We don't need as large a portion of our healthy fats because they are energy dense, but they're also nutrient dense. So we get lots of benefits from a small portion. So your good healthy fats is avocado, any nuts and seeds, 
and extra virgin olive oil, particularly in terms of oil of choice for cooking. And also your fatty fish like salmon and tuna do contain those good healthy fats and they also double as a protein as well. Awesome. So according to Kels, the three things to do, one is focus on addition, not subtraction. I really did think I was getting a maths lesson today. Um, number two is planning is key. It is so true for everything, right? But nutrition, planning is paramount. And three, think of the performance plate. Now, before I get onto nutrition and cognition, let's detour a little bit. Give me a story with an athlete you've worked with or a team where you've changed their total mindset. And uh, I don't know what you've got permission to share or uh, what you want to admit, but for people listening to this, share an example or an experience with an athlete or team where you've come in and had to re-educate and then what did that look like after they put some of these basics into practice? That is a really good question. I'm going to take it back to my first year working as a sports dietitian in rugby rugby union. So I was working with a Tongan player. He was brought into the team on a train and trial contract. So meaning that he was just there for pre-season, wasn't necessarily guaranteed a contract for the season. So obviously a player in that position is in quite a vulnerable position. They're trying to do everything that they can to prove to the team and the coaches that they do deserve a contract in season. And particularly for this player, Um, A lot of this happens a lot with our Pacifica players that, you know, there is that big pressure from the family side of things as well. So he was definitely feeling motivated at this point in time. And that was the perfect time for me to be able to work with him because he was really ready to implement whatever I chatted to him about. But he came to me and he said that he needed to lose about 15 kilos to meet the playing weight that they wanted him to play at. And 15 kilos is a really large amount of weight to lose for, you know, the duration of about three months was his train and trial contract and he wanted to lose 15 kilos. So this is not a um, how to lose 15 kilos in three months because normally I would not recommend that. This is obviously a different sort of scenario. But this player came to me with the idea that he would need to be fasting in order to lose all of that weight. And I see this so commonly. It is, um, you know, really common for a lot of players to believe that fasting is the way to lose weight, going into the sauna, sweating it all out, wearing jackets when you're exercising to try to sweat and lose that weight. So I had to really um, spend a lot of time sitting down with this player and educating them about how weight loss actually happens and that fasting was probably not the best option for him. He had this perception that he needed to fast because his family's way of eating Tongan food wasn't healthy. He's always been told, well, you know, Tongan food is unhealthy. That's why, you know, you live in a larger body because you eat Tongan food. And then I asked, well, what does your family actually eat? And he told me all of the foods and it's all beautiful, actually great food. They have a lot of plants in in their diet. There's lots of vegetables in there. Yes, there's some meats and yes, there's things like coconut milk that are often used. But then I also asked, well, what else are you eating? What do you do on the weekends? And there's all these other foods like KFC and, you know, drinking alcohol. And, you know, I had to change his perception. They they would be very non-Tongan foods. I can't imagine the traditional (laughs) Tongan culture having KFC. So sadly, he'd cut out all of his traditional foods, all his foods from his culture, and yet was still eating KFC on the weekend. And I said, well, does this, you know, when we think about that, does that really make sense? I think the KFC is probably 
the thing that we need to minimise. You can absolutely eat those foods from your culture. There is nothing wrong with that at all. That's, I guess, a you know common misconception that I do see among athletes and particularly with coaches, those comments get made quite often towards players that are from different cultures. But we need to dig a little bit deeper and see, okay, well, what else are they doing? It's actually more so those other items that for any person are the things that we need to be minimising anyway. And he actually felt a lot better about his diet when he understood this and realised that he could still go to his family's gatherings that they had every Sunday after church and be able to enjoy all of that beautiful food and not feel left out. It helped his overall mental uh, well-being as well, which obviously ties into your nutrition intake. And he got the results that he wanted. He did. I'm not saying it was just the nutrition, but he did end up getting a contract and he played with that team for a couple of years and he now plays overseas. And it was really nice. He did send me a message a couple of years after working with him. He posted a bit of a transformation picture uh, on his social media and tagged me in it and, you know, was like, well, this all started from when I worked with you back then. So that's why I'm so passionate about culture as well, because as I said, that's something that I do come across really often Um, and not just with athletes, with clients that I work with as well. We need to not nitpick on what we believe is unhealthy. There's probably other, look at the bigger picture, there's probably other things going on. For anyone who is watching the YouTube version of this, you'll see Kelsey lights up. Not not that you were dispassionate when you were talking about all or nothing thinking or performance plate or liquid calories, but you go to a different energy level. You feel it when you start talking about culture, which makes total sense with your Maori background. And, and, and as you were saying that story, Kelsey, I'm not sure whether you're aware or not, but you actually ticked off all or nothing thinking. You were getting your, your Tongan player to think about balance. You're looking at not going solo. You're part of his team and helping him understand as well. His also team is his, his heritage, his culture. And you cut out some of the liquid calories. So you go tick, 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 tick. I've got two more yep. questions on athletes and then we'll talk about nutrition for cognition. Uh, first question, working with male or female athletes, which, which sex is easier and why? Look, I would love to work with more female athletes Unfortunately, the funding's just not there right now in women's sports. So hopefully that will grow even further. I wouldn't necessarily say one is easier than the other. Um, I think that from in the professional sport environment, obviously there is the accessibility of being able to do so. It does make that a little bit different. So it's not to do necessarily with the personalities, but being able to be there for them. There are definitely key differences though with males and females. So interestingly in that female sports space, especially with rugby union, when I was working there with that team, they had a much bigger um, struggle in their body image, in what they felt like they needed to eat in order to be a rugby player. But an internal sort of struggle battling with what they wanted to look like as a female in a social setting. Yeah. So there was a bit more of a discourse there between what they felt like they needed to do with their nutrition. Whereas with the males that I've worked with, of course, there's always going to be body image concerns, regardless of whether it's a male versus a female. But I found that there was less of that confusion 
between the two different goals that they had. Well, when I, can, I can imagine Nenna, like a lot of the men would say, look, Kels, give me bigger, rounder shoulders like tennis balls. I want the biceps to pop. So it's probably yes. more aligned, isn't it, with body image, getting stronger, which is also exactly. aligned with the sport. Yes, whereas with the females that I worked with, particularly rugby, they were being told, okay, we need you to bulk up, we need you to, you know, gain a couple of kilos. And they went, okay, great, that's good for rugby, but I don't feel comfortable personally being bigger because obviously that's what they've been conditioned to feel their whole life. Mm. All right, last question on the spot in our current Parramatta NRL squad. Give me two or three of the players who are your rock star nutrition students. And I won't ask you for two or three who've got major opportunity for growth and change. <laughs> two or three who really embrace this. Oh, good question. Let me have a little bit of a think about this one. All right, well, Ryan Madison, uh, he loves his nutrition. Um, Reed has actually been really great. He obviously came off an injury last year and um, he's shown a lot more interest in getting things right with his diet ever since then. And I think it's definitely showing as well. And third one, Tom Opacek. He's studying nutrition. So he does have that interest. He'll ask me some good questions about nutrition. All right, we'll have to send a copy of this to Reedy, Meadow and Tommy to give them a thumbs up. Now, Meadow as well uh, loves taking his top off, so I reckon <laughs> part of his yeah. nutrition as well is like he's got a rig like an Adonis, so why wouldn't you? All right, let's get back on to more topics that will be relevant to our corporate audience, nutrition and cognition. I'm going to share a story with you that I haven't shared on this podcast. I'm somewhat embarrassed. My first degree, Kels, was in exercise physiology and sports coaching, a double major. I remember one of my good mates, Dano, started dating a psychologist and, and we were saying to him, we're at, at New South Wales University saying, Dano, like, what do you talk to Louise about? We're, we're the exercise physiologists. You know, we're all about the, the body and getting fit. She's a psychologist. Like, well, what do you talk about? I, I, I feel embarrassed going back 20 plus years. But back then, it was the exercise physiologists and the physios was all about the body. And then if you wanted to get performance psychology or something about goal setting, you'd see a psychologist. It just shows how much we've come forward in that phase. And I think neuroscience has helped to show that a healthy body, and we know this, the Hippocratic Oath, Hippocrates was looking out over the wonderful blue ocean two and a half thousand years ago. And, and this is what doctors and nurses still sign now with the Hippocratic Oath. A healthy, flourishing brain is built on the foundation of a healthy body and sound nutrition. But isn't it embarrassing that I said to Dano all those years ago, what do you talk to Lou about? You know, Freud and everything else. But we've come such a long way. And this is what I love, a lot of the stuff you teach about. Yes, nutrition, it's good for your body. Yes, you're going to be lean. Yes, you'll increase lean body mass. But it is so much about what goes on upstairs. Yes, absolutely. Our, you know, <laughs> I'm, I don't think embarrassed. I think surprised. Obviously, you've come a long way since then. Thanks, Kels. All right. <laughs> Save me. <laughs> Nutrition and cognition. Someone comes to you and says, how do I eat or how does eating help me with brain performance? Where do you start with this? So I often start with using just a quick example of how your brain is linked to other areas of the body and therefore how it makes sense that nutrition would have an impact. So thinking of, of any time that you've ever felt nervous before doing something or stressed out, that's obviously something that's going on in our brain. That's what we're thinking. But then we start to feel those butterflies in our stomach. So our brain is, com is communicating down to our gut. 
our gut is obviously involved in digestion of all of our food. And we know now that gut health obviously has a lot of research behind it and it's linked with our overall health. But it makes sense when we link those two things together and you think about it that way and you can practically apply the gut-brain connection to understand, okay, well, potentially then if my gut and my brain are communicating, that makes sense. What the food that I eat will have an impact then on my cognition, my brain health, lots of other areas of our health too. And this has been a big movement, hasn't it, the last few years as well, that we're not a head on a stick. Your body, brain are so interconnected. We talk about that that second brain or the, the, the gut brain as well, so important. For people wanting to really improve their cognition and nutrition, obviously what not to do, one. Two, what to do. Once you've got those basics or the building blocks in place, what would you be telling people to do then to really expand the way they think or to to increase their energy levels so they are thinking at a higher level because with a lot of our leaders Kels when they're promoted from one level to the next they report it's the intensity of the performance moments they don't have that same amount of time to down regulate how would you use nutrition to help with someone who's who's got to jump up and really be on their game for a lot more during the average day I think that it's um, really common for people to want to look towards one particular nutrient or one particular supplement that is going to help. We can have a look at those things, but I call them the one percenters at the foundation of it in terms of nutrition for cognition. We know that your overall eating pattern is what really matters. So the things that you do day in, day out is what's going to help when it comes to those moments. It might not feel like it when you're on a Sunday not feeling stressed and you're trying to eat healthy. You might not be thinking about how that will help you on Tuesday when you have that, you know, really stressful moment at work, but it does matter. It all adds up. So one of the most beneficial dietary patterns that has been found to be linked with improved cognitive performance is the Mediterranean style diet. So uh, lots of coffee, alcohol of an afternoon. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's um, loads of research has been around for decades and they're still doing research that that Mediterranean diet, there's the cultural benefits and the connection benefits as well, which is really important. Back to, you said not going solo, we could extend that, that's part of your tribe. Um, but yeah, what, what bits of the Mediterranean diet should people be bringing into their eating on a regular basis? So I would really focus in on five key things with that Mediterranean-style diet. So number one, ties into what we said before, incorporate some colour into every meal that you eat, so more plant-based foods. Number two, eat fatty fish often, salmon, herring, sardines, tuna. Number three, vitamin E foods or your good healthy fats. Number four, cook with extra virgin olive oil. And number five, make sure you're drinking plenty of water. So if you're using that as a basis to do a couple of times a week, you're giving the foundation to really expand that, that your cognition capacity. Yes, absolutely. All right, Kelsey, I love putting you on the spot. And uh, out of those five, let's pick one number. One, two, three, four, five. Which one do you want to go a little bit deeper on, specific to the Mediterranean diet? I'm going to pick number four. Number four. This is like a game show. Where's Extra it? virgin olive Have oil. Have we got some music for dinner? We'll add some in post-production. Number four, extra virgin olive oil. We'll do anything to bring nutrition alive, especially cognition and nutrition. All right, Kels, talk to me about door number four. All right, so extra virgin olive oil is 
the main oil that is used in the Mediterranean style diet. There is a lot of myths around olive oil for cooking and I get asked this a lot, is olive oil actually safe for cooking at high temperatures? So it's a little bit of a myth that it's not. Extra virgin is different to just olive oil. Olive oil is the more processed, more refined version. If it's extra virgin, it means that it's less processed and it has more of those nutrients still intact in the oil. And of those is the antioxidants, which actually protects the oil from oxidation and damage when we cook with it. There's actually a lot of other nutrients within uh, extra virgin olive oil that have been linked with having a neuroprotective effect in the body and preventative of dementia and Alzheimer's as well. So that would be the number one thing that I recommend for people when it comes to cooking because in that Mediterranean diet, they actually use three tablespoons or about 45 to 60 mils of extra virgin olive oil a day. It's interesting, Alzheimer's is popping up a lot lately. We spoke earlier this week, Wizard, in one of our workshops about the nun experiment. Now, you wouldn't have had this growing up. The Flying Nun was a TV show with Sally Field. Your mum and dad would have watched it, Kels. Uh, but they've done a, an experiment with nuns over decades and looking at the nuns. They did a journal when they first joined the convent and they divided them into uh, more pessimist and optimist based on attribution style. And then they studied these nuns and the optimistic nuns live seven to ten years longer. Longer. The optimistic nuns, when they did pass away and they did a, an autopsy and, and functional magnetic resonance imaging, they had some of the triggers or the signs of Alzheimer's, but it was asymptomatic. It didn't show up. So I need to check whether they looked at olive oil on this, because I know with a lot of the Mediterranean studies, that's one of the big things, isn't it? And it is protective of Alzheimer's and a lot of the cognitive dysfunctions that we're seeing uh, play out as we age older physically. We want our brains to keep up with that. And look, it's not just the olive oil as well. It's also the other healthy fats that are in that diet in fairly large amounts, probably compared to what we would look at in a typical Australian diet. So lots of the fatty fish, their diet really focuses on reducing red meat, or it's just not as accessible. So it's not consumed in large amounts is what it is here. And instead, there is a lot of that um, fatty fish like salmon and tuna and herring and sardines that are consumed and also nuts and seeds. And what those healthy fats can actually do is prevent that oxidative damage in, in our cells and protect your nerve cell membranes in the brain. I was going to ask you about that. Like, do you personally eat red meat much during the week? I do personally eat red meat. Um, interestingly, when I was a kid, we ate a lot of red meat and I didn't like it. So I actually didn't have to eat a lot of red meat as a kid. And I would probably eat red meat now once or twice a week. That's personally my limit in terms of enjoyment. And it just so happens that that's also beneficial from a health perspective. So I'm not limiting myself, but that's just personally my preference. Yeah, I've, I've cut back a lot. Or we've cut back as a family. I love red meat. I grew up in country New South Wales and my dad was a sheep and wool officer. So do the maths on that, Kels. What do you think we grew up? <laughs> Steak and three veg. But I, I have made a real conscious effort to have more fish and to also add a lot more plant and veggies, cut back alcohol, all the basics you're saying. If someone's listening to this in their, in their 20s, they'll go, oh, yeah, blah, blah, I can do whatever I want. Look at me. I'm a biological experiment. But when you get into your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond, well, really, the earlier you can start doing all this stuff, it's just compound interest. Uh, Warren Buffett calls compound interest the eighth wonder of the world. I think if people could start eating the the, the 
principles you're talking about, because they really are first principles, right? And getting this linked to culture and getting this linked to their brain and getting this linked to longevity from an early age, wouldn't that be, be so different as far as the people that do show up with diabetes and metabolic syndrome and, and all the problems we get from poor nutrition? Is that just me rabbiting on? Is that your dream as well? Oh, absolutely. That is my dream. I'm very much focused on that preventative side of things and obviously working with young people that I work with a lot as well, trying to convince them to make those changes when, as you said, they do feel great and can get away with it at a young age. It's, you know, trying to have that conversation that this is something that will benefit you as you get older. You don't want to be playing catch up and having to change heaps of things when you get older. If you work on it now when you're young, you'll just be so much better off when you do get older. And, and one thing, as we get older or mature, people definitely look at, at supplements and vitamins, and I'd like to dig into that. I think I, the frame that was part four today. On, on supplements and vitamins, Dr. Tom and I see this in our human performance lab. We'll get someone will come to us and say, all right, I, I, can you talk to me about resveratrol or NMN, or can you talk to me about all the longevity stuff as well? And then we look at the basics, and you've, you've framed it beautifully today. No, no, here's three things to cut out. Here's three things to add. You protect your brain, go to the Mediterranean diet, and there's five benefits from that. But if, so if everyone is doing that, Kels, can we now dig into what are the supplements or vitamins you would tell people? And I'll underscore, this is a landmine because if you walk into a health food shop, if you pick up one of the, the big magazines on the weekend, the Sunday papers, and they have voluminous tombs now dedicated to all the vitamins and minerals. And if you took everything that everyone said, one, it would take you a long time, right, of a morning. Two, you would rattle when you walk. So can you help us through this, this murky field of vitamins and supplements? What do you tell your high performers that they absolutely should add on top of a, on top of a sound base? All right. I'll just give a quick disclaimer first. Of course, this isn't personal advice. So always make sure you do get some advice before you actually start something. But I'm not someone that's against supplements. Oftentimes we might hear that narrative um, from health professionals that we shouldn't be taking supplements. We can get everything we need from food. We absolutely can get what we need from food. But then once we've nailed the foundations, like you said, why can't we add in those extra one percenters that can just help us boost our performance and our well-being even more? Because there's only so much food we can fit into one day, right? So there are a number of supplements that I routinely discuss with clients and even athletes that I work with. So the five are fish oil, B-complex vitamins, magnesium, vitamin D, and curcumin. Ooh, curcumin made the list. Okay, well, I'll stick to the order. Uh, first one, let's look at fish oil. The question that we get a lot, and, and can you help explain this as well, the difference between omega-3 and omega-6s. First of all, like what's the difference? And then let's explore fish oils. So omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids, they're both polyunsaturated fats. Both our bodies need but the ratio of the two is what matters. We need more of the omega-3 than we do of omega-6. And with our Western diet, it is just a lot easier to get in those omega-6 fatty acids than it is the omega-3s. And most people are overdoing it on those omega-6 fatty acids. So what we need is to focus in on our diet and try to incorporate more of the omega-3 fatty acids. So omega-3 fatty acids, you can break that down into three different ones. We have EPA, DHA, and ALA. 
You don't necessarily have to remember all of that. All three are beneficial and we need all of them. But when we consume something like fish oil, it's a combination of EPA and DHA. Whereas the ALA omega-3 fatty acids we can get from plant-based foods. For example, they are in things like walnuts. And I know omega-3s, I had an Achilles injury. It's been ongoing. Um, But I saw a physio a number of years ago and she said, have fish oil and have magnesium, which we'll get to, to reduce inflammation. I I find a big difference when I'm taking fish oil on inflammation as well. So what, what are the other protective properties of fish oil or what else does it do for our body? So it's been shown to be really beneficial for joint health, particularly with osteoarthritis and also involved in brain health. So we're linking that back to cognition again. Awesome. So fish oil, tick, B-complex. Gosh, there's so many B-complex vitamins. So what are they, first of all? And two, what sort of B-complex vitamins should our high performers be taking? So B-complex vitamins just means it's the group of all the B vitamins because there's a number of them. Like if you think B1, B2, B3, B6, B12, we've got lots of different B vitamins. So we just group them all together. Um, they're what I like to call your energizer vitamins. So they are water-soluble vitamins, which means that they can be found in a lot of our foods that we consume. And they're essentially like the building blocks of a healthy body. They're involved in energy production, brain function, cell metabolism, and it also support your cell health. But we don't store them in the body for very long, so that's why it is beneficial to top those up particularly for busy people and particularly for very active people as well so that you can help meet all those energy demands that your body needs. Great. So we've got our building blocks. We've added fish oil. We've added B-complex. Then we go magnesium. I've been taking soluble magnesium for years. Is that what you advocate as well? Do you tell people to take soluble magnesium uh, or tablet magnesium, first question? And then what does magnesium do for us? So There's different forms of magnesium supplements Um, and so those ones are the ones that are more easily or readily absorbed in the body. But I find that a lot of people that I speak to don't necessarily notice a difference. So if you do already have some of the other types at home, don't worry, you don't have to go out and change them straight away. Just think about the next time that you do buy some. Magnesium though, I would always suggest discussing that with a dietitian first to see if you actually need it because we can overdo it on magnesium For some people, that might cause a little bit of gut issues. You might feel that in your gut if you're having a bit too much. But what magnesium does, it is involved in so many chemical reactions in our body. And the ones that interest people most is that it's involved in muscle contraction, nerve signaling, and also immune health. And anecdotally has been found to or can supposedly help some people when it comes to sleep, mostly due to that sort of muscle relaxant feeling that we do get from magnesium. I find when I'm, I've got a corporate cycling event coming up, I'm a cramper, you know, I think there's some genetic predisposition to this as well, but then it's also about electrolyte balance or imbalance. I know when I'm taking soluble magnesium and I'm doing long endurance events, my my likelihood of cramping dramatically drops. Now for my cycling mates, I think they would like me to not take soluble magnesium and go on these events and cramp because they think it's pretty funny. Uh, but that, that has made a huge difference. And I know a a lot of our corporate people as well will feel little cramps and magnesium can really help with that as well, doesn't it? 
Yeah, definitely. All right, let's go to the next one, which intrigues me in Australia, which is meant to be one of the sunniest, most beautiful countries in the world. And, and we see this show up in our human performance lab, Kels, with it's, it's 70 to 75% of our executive male and female clients have low vitamin D. And Dr. Tom, who hails from Ireland, just, oh, I won't swear, because I know Thomas beeps it out, even though it doesn't sound like f***. <laughs> um, he's just flabbergasted that he that we live in this country and we have such low vitamin D levels with a lot of people who are under stress. What's going on? Yeah, look, I get the same question when people come to me with their blood test results and say, well, how do I have low vitamin D? I live in Australia. Look, we need at least 15 to 20 minutes of sun exposure on our skin per day to be able to absorb the vitamin D that we would get from the sun. But if you think about the busy corporate worker, they're probably not getting that time out in the sun. We're spending all day at our desks. Um, you might be outside in the morning and in the evening traveling to and from work, but it's probably dark at that time or there isn't enough sunlight for you to actually get that exposure or not enough of that UV to get that exposure. And so most people just aren't actually out and about during the day where we would be able to get our vitamin D. I think a lot of people as well, Kels, with the slip, slop, slap message. And look, I'm a huge supporter of that. I've had melanoma and I make sure in the, the peak sun periods, wear a hat, you know, sunglasses, cover up, wear sun cream. But on the edges is what we're talking about to get your vitamin D. So first thing of the morning or the afternoon when the, 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 the real sting has gone out in the sun, that's when you can get the sun exposure on your skin and it is really important. So I think we've done a great job on the messaging for skin cancer and we need to keep doing that. But just to let people know that that first thing of the morning when you go out, you don't have to wear a hat. Ideally, don't wear sunglasses, get skin exposure. And that makes a massive difference to your vitamin D levels. And, and you said it, Kels, the only way to measure this is blood tests. So this is what we do with pathology testing. And when we get people to do that morning wake up, you know, get some sunlight, move around, and we come back and test two or three months later, we just see a huge increase in vitamin D levels. It's just, it, it, is, it is so easy to, to get these levels to go up. And look, although it's a vitamin, people often ask, well, what can I do with my diet to get enough of that vitamin D in? But it's very limited in our diet. One of the foods that we actually can get some vitamin D from is mushrooms. So this is one of my favorite fun facts about food is that mushrooms absorb vitamin D from the sun in a similar way that our skin does. So if you buy yourself a punnet of mushrooms and you're planning to cook it, before you cook it that day, just pop the punnet of mushrooms out on your windowsill where it might get a bit of sun throughout the day. And then when you cook it up, particularly with some good healthy fats like extra virgin olive oil, we can actually effectively absorb some of that vitamin D as well. But that's why a supplement does come in handy when people see those low levels on their blood test because it is just very limited in our diet to actually be able to top it up. And as you said, we're also wanting to be sun safe. Yeah, I'm glad you rounded that out because we get them to get sun exposure and, and generally take a vitamin D supplement because vitamin D is linked to so many chemical reactions in the body and everything from mood health to metabolism. And if your vitamin D levels are low, your physiology is just not going to be functioning how it should be. The fifth one surprised me, curcumin, which I often call turmeric, and I know they're linked, but they're not exactly the same. <laughs> so what curcumin is, it is the active ingredient that's in turmeric. So it's also now a supplement. Um, turmeric is obviously a really popular spice that's been used for years, 
centuries in particularly Ayurvedic ancient medicine. I'm not sure if my pronunciation of that was great. (laughs) So turmeric definitely has become really trendy more recently because we've seen some more research go into the benefits of it because it has been used for so long in um, alternative medicines that, you know, we've done some research to have a look at, okay, well, is there something there? Is it actually beneficial? And now turmeric, you can see that in cafes, it's being added to things like turmeric lattes. So what we're actually looking at is curcumin. As I said, that's the active ingredient. Um, You could definitely be including turmeric into your diet, but how much of the actual curcumin we would get is limited depends how much turmeric you're actually using in your cooking. And we also need one of the ingredients that's in black pepper to actually help the absorption of that curcumin as well. So that's why a supplement can come in handy. So if you were going to get supplements, according to Kelts, the five you'd go with is number one, fish oil, high in omega-3 fatty acids, two, a B-complex vitamin, three, magnesium, ideally soluble, four is vitamin D, and five is curcumin. Anything else would you add to the stack if there was a bonus one, like a drum roll, number six, for those people wanting to get extra, extra, extra value out of today? We could talk for days on supplements and there are probably a number of other ones that I am often recommending, but it's always about time and place and the person. So probably the two most trendy and common ones that I get asked about now is uh, probiotics and collagen. And I will say that I do recommend both, but it depends on the time, the place and the person, as I said. Okay, we might come back part two. We'll do probiotics and collagen. Mm -hmm. The fifth part of today was performance accelerated. So if we're doing all the building blocks and you're adding the five supplements you said and maybe probiotics and and a few others on top of that as well, and then we really want to pull a few other levers. What what have you got up your sleeve or what's at the pointy end on performance accelerators when you're working either with a client or with a group? So this is what we do when we've nailed the foundations. There's no point adding these things in unless we can get those foundations right first. But there are a couple of performance accelerators that I look at. So there's fasting. Supplements is one of those performance accelerators. So we've just touched on all of that. And then the third one would have been um, metabolic flexibility. All right, let's start with metabolic flexibility because that's a huge one now we're hearing. And even when you just said that all or nothing thinking is important for metabolic flexibility. So you're changing, you're adapting, you're shifting, you're getting at adaptability. What is metabolic flexibility? And then how do you bring more of that about? So the easiest way to explain metabolic flexibility is if I use this analogy of cars. I'm not a car person myself, so we'll see if I get this correct. But a standard car has one fuel source, petrol, gasoline, uh, which is much like someone who's metabolically inflexible, whereas then we now have these hybrid vehicles where they are flexible. They can switch between gasoline and electricity as a fuel source. And that's what we would describe as metabolic flexibility. So where you can switch between those different energy sources in the body. I like that analogy. I've never heard you say that before. So it could be like a Toyota Prius and you're driving along using petrol and then you go to electrical power. So you've got the flexibility. We want that in the body, right? Driving along, for a lot of people, they only know how to burn carbs, but we want to teach them to how to burn fat or to be fat adaptive or even ketones when they're in ketosis. 
And what are the benefits of that? So absolutely like what you just said there, it's our ability to be metabolically flexible means that we can switch between utilizing carbs and fat as our energy source, which can essentially lead to increased fat burning where we are fat adaptive. Our natural ability to be metabolically flexible has changed over time. So back in the day when food wasn't as readily available Metabolic flexibility allowed the body to go long periods without eating with limited impact to our body. But now with um, easy access to highly processed foods and calorie-rich foods means that our ability to be metabolically flexible has been impacted, also combined with our physical inactivity that we see these days. There's no extremes anymore. Yeah, we used to way, 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 way back. Yeah, we'd we'd eat and then we'd fast naturally because we didn't have food and we'd have to go and hunt. So our body had this this range. Uh, you'd be in hot climates and then you'd be in cold climates, but we're now thermoneutral. So we've lost this flexibility with a lot of our metabolic processes, haven't we? Uh, mm-hmm. Which is, again, why fasting is so important. Now, we've got a podcast coming up where we'll dig into fasting and autophagy and the benefits and how to do. But if you can give me high-level cows, for someone listening to this who wants to fast or one of your clients, how do you go about it? What does it look like? how often, what time period? There are different ways of doing fasts. One of the most popular fasting methods today, I would say, is the intermittent style fasting. And there's probably two ways of doing that that I see most people doing is 5-2 fasting and 16-8 fasting. So 5-2 fasting is where for five days of the week, you are consuming what's called your maintenance calories And then for two days of the week, we are fasting and that's consuming at a very low calorie intake. So it's usually about 600 to 800 calories per day for those two days of the week. The other method is 16-8 fasting. So this is where you choose a window of time where you are fasting, so no calories are consumed, and then a window of time where you can eat as normal. That 16-8 is 16 hours of fasting, eight-hour window for eating. But you can you can change that. We can be flexible with that window. That's just the sort of most popular method that is used. That's the one I use and, and I get a lot of our clients to use as well. I find it fits into your lifestyle. You don't do it every day the same, so you get some of that metabolic flexibility as well and it just seems like a nice number. And if you haven't fasted before, when you first do go with time-restricted eating or fasting, you feel really hungry. But again, think of that life as like an extreme sport with highs and lows. We shouldn't always feel full. You know, Hunger is good for us, Kels. We've lost that in our modern drop-and-drag download society. And the other big thing with fasting as well is, you know, just ease into it. Don't go go crazy. It's not this all or nothing thinking. Thinking if you've never fasted, then do it five or six days a week. But personally, N equals one, I feel the benefits of fasting a couple of times a week, but I see so much research coming out now. And we just see it with our clients and on our programs. When people start to fast, they get big changes in their body shape, in their energy levels, and for some people, even in their cognition. I will, though, really highlight on this. Don't just go, if, if you're 
if you're starting at a low base, Kels, that's a nice way of saying someone eats crap. Uh, I wouldn't just swing the needle extreme. I'd go and see someone like Kelsey, an accredited dietitian or nutritionist, to work out a plan. And for women as well, Kels, uh, especially pre and post menopausal, I absolutely say go and work with a professional because for women around menopause, some women can put on weight when they fast. So it's not as cut and dried for women pre or post menopause. Anything to add on that? I'm just going to add as well um, of reproductive age too. And if that's something that you are thinking about as a female, um, definitely consider speaking to someone before attempting fasting or reconsider fasting full stop just because female bodies can be more sensitive to those stresses like calorie restriction um, and that can affect that side of things. Yeah, yeah, good point, good point. Well, hey, Kels, I've got one last question. Talk to me about perception about dietitians and nutritionists. You go to a dinner party, I'm sitting next to you and I have no idea what you do and you tell me you're a dietitian or nutritionist and someone goes, huh? What do they often say then? <laughs> yeah, I can answer that question. <laughs> I think the number one thing that people say well, Do they me, run away? Do they move, first of all? Yeah. Oh, you're the dietitian. Oh, hey, hey, Claire, can I sit up the top of the table? Can I, can I please move? <laughs> the first thing people always say is, Kelsey, don't look at what I'm eating. Don't judge me. And I always say to them, well, I'm off duty right now, so <laughs> I'm not paying attention to what you're doing. Um, I think people's perception of dietitian is, dietitians is that we're going to be very judgmental and negative and maybe make you feel bad about your food choices, but that's absolutely not what we do. And we aren't just focused on weight loss either because not everyone wants to lose weight or not everyone has to. That's also a common perception. So hopefully you see from this podcast that there's so many areas of nutrition that we can talk about and food is not just about weight loss. Food is also to help your overall health and your well-being and your cognitive performance and longevity, like we mentioned. Awesome. So people don't have to move when they sit next to Kelsey at a function or at a conference. Now, you do put a lot of great content out on the socials. Where can people find you online? I do have a website, an Instagram, LinkedIn, and more recently, TikTok. It's not just a dancing app. I post recipe videos on there. So I have the same username for all of those. It's kelseyhutton.dietitian. Yeah, um, uh, I'll have to talk to you offline. I reckon I have passed the age. I reckon anyone who ticks over 40 probably ticks off the TikTok, but maybe I'm wrong because I see Gary Vaychuk and a lot of the US influencers and entrepreneurs on TikTok. Are you, are you getting much traction on that? Are you getting, like, well, one, people are looking at your TikToks, uh, but do you, do you get business from that? It's interesting. I've only been posting on there for a week and a half now, and I've already uh, overlapped my engagement and followers that I had on Instagram, which I've had for like five years. So it is a great app, I think, in terms of being able to reach a lot of people quite quickly as well. All right, peeps, get out there. Get on the TikTok. Is that what I say, Thomas, or does that sound really bad? Should I just wrap up? <laughs> Thomas has gone, yeah, wrap it up. <laughs> hey, Kels, thank you. We, we could have explored each of those five areas a whole lot more. I, I love the conciseness. I love the, the way you stack this as well. But I see it play out with clients. We constantly get feedback when you work with our clients, when you work in our programs, that people energise, they lose weight without even focusing on it. They feel better, they think better, and hopefully we're making them live longer and 
and longer. And I love how you've connected that as well to culture and background and belonging. And we'd even go that fucker papa. Food is such an important part of our lives. And to build it in to be a healthy part that really connects us, I think that's a real gift that you have. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's Andrew, and we hope you enjoyed that episode. We would really appreciate it if you helped us amplify the Strive Stronger with Andrew May podcast by sharing episodes with colleagues and friends and going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help us get this message out to a wider audience. And if you would like to know more about how Strive Stronger uplifts teams through optimizing human performance and well-being, make sure you check out strivestronger.com. And if you'd like to know more about my personal practice, focusing on all things human performance, go to andrewmade.com where you can explore the books I have written, including MatchFit, which has now sold over 85,000 copies, or book me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite. Or if you'd like to really turbocharge your business and personal success and wake up to a better way of living, working and leading, check out my brand new evidence-based Human Performance Academy that starts in July. I'm really, really looking forward to getting that going. And if you'd like to receive regular updates from me each month, make sure you subscribe to my monthly e-newsletter, the AM edition.